I'm Michelle Ely from the Starlight Tribune, an Arrow TV show fan podcast, part of the Gunna Geek Network, just like the show you're checking out now. Shows on the network are individually owned, and opinions expressed may not reflect others. Find other amazing geeky shows at GunnaGeekNetwork.com. Welcome to episode 180 of Better Podcasting. On this show, we discuss changing the length of your episodes. In this week's Better Podcasting download, we say farewell to a neat event in the podcasting space. And finally, in this week's Better Podback, we run down some feedback from our Discord server, including an ethical question about some ghosts who buy gas. Lauren, start the show now. I'd never want to hear SP do his ghost impression again. Welcome to Better Podcasting, a show where we talk about podcast tips, tools, and best practices to help you succeed with your podcast. What makes us different? Well, just like you, we podcast purely out of the love and fun of it. Podcasting is our hobby, and we recognize that it's yours too. We always encourage your questions and feedback, and you can find all of our contact information at betterpodcasting.com. Here's your host for the show, Stephen John Drew and Stargate Pioneer. You've reached episode 180 of Better Podcasting. I am Stephen John Drew, and I am pleased to say that SP is here again to once again keep me in line. I am, and I did notice that last week you did call me SP, and we just went right over it. I just want to say thank you for calling me SP instead of Stargate Pioneer. I mean, I go by both, but why not call me SP? It's easier on you. It's more familiar for everybody else. Why not do it? You know what? Uh, 179 was the magical number. It took me 178 episodes to get there. Uh, 179 was when it finally stuck, finally stuck in. How much cold medicine were you on last week in order for you to forget to call me Stargate Pioneer? <laughs> A lot less than I'm on right now, because yes, even though I am nasally voiced John Drew, uh, I am definitely fighting a cold, so this will be a fun one today, but I enjoy podcasting when I'm sick because it just helps me grow a little bit, because I do find when you have a challenge like that, it ends up getting you to think of things a little bit different, and even though you might be like, hey, I'm sick right now, I can push through this, or how can I push through this? And it just makes you think a little bit about all of the inner workings of your podcast and helps you grow. And that's why we always start off this show with what we call a how I save my podcast story. That's right. That's the moment where we do turn to you, the listener or the viewer and say, hey, what went wrong with your show? And how did you go about saving your podcast and making it better? But when we don't have you sending us a clip. Basically, when you, the listener and viewer, fail on us, uh, we end up, by the way, that was guilt right there. Uh, we end up digging into the ether, the internet ether, and finding a story that we think kind of goes along those lines, and we call it a how I could have saved my podcast story. So again, we can get you thinking a little bit about your show, and if something went wrong with your show, how would you fix it? Stargate Pioneer, what have you dug out this week? I did. I dug up another Reddit post. This is a how I say how I could have saved my podcast story. And the title of this post was advice needed stopping for the summer question mark. And it was posted by mortar board podcast. It's all one word. No spaces mortar M O R T A R board podcast and board is like the board game board, not board like B O R 
ed so it's board as in like review board or something like that anyway mortarboard podcast posted this quote looking for some collective wisdom from the group should an academic podcast pause for the summer we're finishing our first season and definitely have an increasing number of listeners our podcast currently publishes about every two weeks and the intended audience is academic instructors who although they typically don't have the summer off like faculty typically take vacations and such during the summer those same vacations make guests less available and us less available. We assume there are downsides to a summer hiatus. We're just trying to get a sense of how big those downsides are. What say ye? Thanks, unquote. There was some great advice given on this post, and I just want to give kudos to a couple people. So Smile Syndicate L-I-Z said, I think it's L-I-Z, I don't think it's L-1-Z, but Smile Syndicate said, building a buffer of episodes that can be pre-posted if needed, and if you can avoid taking a break and keep some listener engagement going, it'll be easier to start back up again in the fall. If you can't, you can't. It's okay. You won't lose everyone. So I think that's important. And so Motorboard Podcast said thank you for that very much. It might be the simplest solution. Thanks for the reply. There was also a reply from Quandary of Red who said you can also include them, meaning your audience, in the process by asking them on the air what they would like to see over the summer and doing a poll on social media or having some other response mechanism for them to vote on what they think is most appropriate. Unquote, Motorboard Podcast said these are terrific tips. Thank you very much. And there were some other responses, but I'm going to actually take a researched view of things right now. and. If you do take a break, producing at least one promotion or promo announcing your return date would be nice. And I would definitely send that out a couple of weeks before your return. Now, I was wondering how far in advance would you want to publish a promo? Now, if you're talking to summer vacation, you're only talking three months total. But I was like, how do the pros do this? How do movies and TV series do this? So I did a little research, right? And I ran into some great articles. So what the first article I ran into was a article titled far advanced film trailers release or how far in advance are film trailers released. It was on stephenfollows.com. That is not related to our Stephen, but the article basically said months when it came down to it and it grafted out. I mean, you're talking like six to nine months for major movies that the first trailers come out. So you're not talking about like the week before they spend a lot of time and a lot of money promoting movies, right? So then I was wondering, how about TV? So I ran into a couple articles there. One was titled, How to Market New TV Shows in a Time of Splintered Audiences. That was an amazing title. I was thinking that's right in the alley of podcasts. There's a couple of quotes from that article that I want to state, and it's from adage.com, by the way. And the first quote is, the days of advertising about 30 days before the premiere are gone. A long lead is now our priority. Okay, so more than 30 days. And then, quote, audiences are splintered. They rely on social recommendations, don't watch as much live, and often binge watch full seasons in a single sitting. So marketing needs to be more collaborative and planned. So you can't just assume that you're going to market whatever you're marketing to in the same space that you are trying to produce your content on. That was interesting, right? And then the final article that I pulled for this segment is from VentureHarbor.com, and it was the ultimate guide 
to marketing films, TV shows online. And the specific article was titled 17 Inspiring Market Strategies for Your Film or TV Show. The quote is, in my experience, just having a trailer is not enough. It must have a great seeding strategy and be ultra shareable to produce great results, unquote. Hey, that's 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 all pretty cool advice here. So just want to get that out there. If you're considering taking a hiatus or you're podcasting in seasons or something like that, doing a promo early and often is probably a good idea. Do you want to release a promo every week? No, but if you have a target date in mind, I would stick with it. I would say we are going to come back on this day. We release on these days and this is what our new season or what we're going to continue to do next year. And this is what we have done in the past. I mean, we've talked about podcast promotions before. I think you just follow those rules. Indeed. The other thing that I want to point out, it is not just the promo. It is not just putting something in your feet. You also have to market yourself in different venues like social media. If you go to conventions, market your stuff there, as well as what specific day that you're coming back, you know, photos on Instagram with the, you know, the trailer board on Instagram and stuff like that. I think that is pretty cool. And then for interact, you want to maintain interactivity with your audience. So put out polls, solicit ideas for the upcoming season, not just on your podcast, but on social media. And then uh, also release, you know, interesting topics, statements, or articles on your feeds as well, whatever social media content you're using. So Yes, do that and promote your already existing content. So keep those things going in the off season. Steven, what do you think about all that? No, I don't really have anything extra to add other than your comments there. I think that it's definitely a hard thing to try to do, but uh, with the right dedication, it can be done. And there are podcasters who do this quite successfully. So absolutely, uh, SP, I think you did a great job digging this up. And we'd love to know, have you ever dealt with an experience like this yourself? And if you have... Please tell us what worked for you, what didn't work for you, and what exactly would you not do again? Because we always like to hear about what didn't work for you, and we can all learn together. Please send that to podcast at betterpodcasting.com, or tweet us at betterpod, or head on over to our Discord server at betterpodcasting.com slash Discord. Let's go ahead and move into our featured segment. As your podcast goes on, sometimes you might find that it evolves in a variety of different ways. We've talked about some of these evolutions or changes that might happen to your podcast before and how to handle some of them. But today we want to talk about one specifically that comes with a variety of considerations and actions if you are going to evolve your podcast in this direction. It's one that we do have some personal experience with, but we also have known some podcasters who have made some pretty drastic changes implementing this. What we're talking about today is changing the overall length of your podcast. Yes, you, most podcasts have sort of an average running length, and we want to talk about what happens when you change from that average running length. Now, we're not talking going from 20 to 30 minutes or going from 45 to 55 minutes. We're talking about a substantial change compared to what your audience has come to know and love about your podcast. And we're going to start off talking about a variety of considerations when you are thinking about switching the length of your podcast. 
The first thing that I'd ask myself is what are some of the things that might make you consider making a significant change to the length of your episodes? Perhaps you want to change your release schedule, but keep the overall same show content. For example, let's say you're currently running a weekly comic book show. I've actually done that myself, but you'd rather do a bi-weekly release versus a weekly release. And each week you highlight a specific comic book. If you switch to bi-weekly, you're going to have to cut down about half the top comics that you actually talk about if you maintain your same episode length, unless you change your show length. So you might consider doubling your length of your episode so you can continue to cover two comics instead of one. Would it have to be double the length? I don't know, because you won't be doing the intro and the outro, but it would be longer than just your singular episode or comic book issue that you're talking about. But perhaps then it's the opposite. You're wanting to increase your release schedule instead of reducing it but without recording additional content. For example, you might currently record a 60 to 70 minute show once a week, but instead you'd rather do a daily show for eight to 10 minutes. This is actually something that a previous guest of the show, Cody Gaw, has done with his Curiosity podcast, and they changed from the Curiosity podcast to the Curiosity Daily podcast. And there are really a variety of reasons that you might want to change your show length, It could be perhaps you're finding your recording schedule is too demanding for your life and altering it will help alleviate this. It will help you avoid burnout. We've talked about that in the past, or perhaps you're just feeling that you're not putting yourself out enough in your niche. An example of that is a new show actually should be released fairly regularly, whether it's daily or or weekly and you were going monthly before. But It might not even be anything to do with your release or recording schedules. Perhaps you just want to make a change with your show to offer something different for your listeners. Maybe you want to add an additional segment to your show to accommodate a vision you have for your show, or you might be removing one. So no matter what the reason is to change the length of your show, here are some things that we'd recommend that you consider and do while changing the length of your episodes. The first thing that you're going to want to go ahead and actively do is consider how you're going to keep your audience interested as you undergo this change. They've come to know your current length, and as that increases or decreases, it can be really hard for people to adjust to, especially if you're making a drastic change. A good example of this is someone who listens to you one time a week. Maybe you're the one that they listen to while you mow or while they mow their lawn every week. You're the show. You're the podcast. And now you're going to go and make that shorter and release that daily. Well, that's going to maybe change the rhythm of when they can listen to you if it is going to end up being a drastic change in the length of your show. In order to combat this, perhaps you can end up rearranging some of your existing elements so that you're going to go ahead and give people a reason to keep listening because they've probably come to know the overall format of your show. And this is especially relevant if you're going to make your show go a little bit longer. For example, let's say you want to add a new element to your show, and that's going to mean that you have to make a little bit of an increase in the length of your podcast. What you could consider doing is taking that new element and sandwiching it in between some of the other elements that they've come to love. Because if you tack it on to the end, Potentially, they get through the elements that they know and they love and they go, well, I don't need to hear that new epi- that new element. Let's go ahead and just end right there. But if you sandwich it in the middle, 
you might entice them to hear it, get to know it, and make it a part of their regular listening love for you, the one that's whispering those words in their ear. But if you're making the show shorter, it's important to consider that you keep offering value uh, with a bit of a longer show. You might be able to get a little bit more fun injected in it and it bleeds in with the rest of the content value. However, if you do cut down your episode show length, suddenly that fun ends up sticking out more like a sore thumb because you have less meat to everything as well. A good example of this is something that Stephen often t- tells me about because I'm old and I go to bed early. It's the Conan O'Brien show. So, Stephen, tell me about the Conan O'Brien show. Sure. So this is a really good example of some of the things that you have to consider if you're going to make your show drastically shorter. For those of you who aren't familiar, Conan O'Brien is a late night talk show host. He took over for David Letterman many, many moons ago. Uh, when David Letterman left the late night show and Conan O'Brien has been doing late night television since. Well, Conan O'Brien has always traditionally done an hour long program through a variety of different venues, variety of different networks. And it's been a very similar to other late night American late night shows. Well, this past year, Conan O'Brien did make the change to go from an hour format down to a 30 minute format. If you've actually watched any of these since he made the change back in, I think it was late January, you'll see that he still is adapting to the new shorter format, but you'll notice a lot of the characteristics that you knew over the past couple decades with him on his full one hour show gone. There's less banter between him and his host or the band is gone because he can't really banter with them. There is less filler because ultimately he's got a precious 30 minutes So when he does have a guest on, he's got to get into it, get into it quick, get to the meat. There's no warm up anymore uh, with the guests. You're right into the meat of it. And it's a really good example on how making a drastic change to your length can impact what you include in your show. And it's definitely something that you want to consider if you are making your show shorter, because as SP said, those quote fun elements will stand out like a sore thumb if they take up 30% of your show now. Another thing that you'll need to address is the marketing or promotion or branding materials. Uh, For example, you're just going to have to bill yourself differently than you did before. Are you doing a 30 minute show versus a one hour show? Are you doing a daily show versus weekly, monthly, whatever, et cetera. So there are different elements that you're going to have to use when you promote your show, when you do your elevator pitch, when you actually swap promos with somebody else, you're just going to have to define that differently in case that's part of how you promote your show now. Now, some of the answers to that question could lead to our next point, which is when are you going to launch this? You're already producing a show. When are you actually going to change the length of the episodes? Is this something that you want to announce in advance? And is this something that you just want to try for a little bit, too? That's okay. I mean, nobody's your boss in podcasting. You can make the episodes as long and short as you really want to. But in order to conform with audience expectations, probably want to stay consistent. There's nothing that says you can't stay consistent and try something for a couple of months. If it works, great. If it doesn't work, whatever. If you have to stick with it, you have to stick with it. Like you've made the change from an external point of view, like you have less time to podcasts and you've gone from a 60 minute episode to a five minute episode. I mean, that's just how things go. Now, depending on how drastic of a change, it might affect how much notice you give your listeners. 
Something like simply adding a segment can probably go live when you're ready with little lead up. But if it's a major change, you might want to use that lead up as a promo. Like we're changing the way we do things in a couple of weeks, especially if you have a large audience or a committed audience. You don't want to catch them by surprise. You might just want to say, hey, we're experimenting a little bit with our format. We have something different coming at you at the end of the month or something like that. So you also want to consider the pros and the cons of production element changes to the episodes themselves. And I've broken it down into some subsets so we could talk about the production elements themselves. The first one we're going to talk about is the theme music. Do you want to keep it to signify the same branding as you did before? And I believe Cody Goff did that with the Curiosity podcast. Or do you want to change it to to signify a completely differently paced show? I mean, there's two options there that you could use. Or you could actually get rid of it because you don't have time for it. Or you could add some in because you actually have time for it now as well. Another element in the production side of things that we're going to talk about is artwork. Now, if you consider this episode length change as a rebranding opportunity, do you want to take this opportunity to update your artwork? Now, if you take a look at TV shows, let's just do that. And let's look at the different cover art for each season. I mean, just go into Hulu or Netflix or Amazon Prime or wherever you consume your TV shows that have different seasons and look at what we're referring to. Now, by changing your cover art, it is definitely a visual cue to your listener in their podcast app of choice that this episode is different than what they've listened to before and your show will continually be different. But you'll definitely want to keep some similar elements. I'm going to take something for an example just because I know it because I podcast about it. The Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. show. It's actually going to come back for its sixth season two days after we record this episode after a whole year off, 52 weeks off, and it's coming back. So they have six seasons underneath their belt. I went back and I took a look at all six seasons of the cover art. And they do have similar themes. First of all, it's a similar font. Maybe there's something recognizable about your font that you want to keep within your podcast artwork and branding. So you keep that. Or maybe you want to change it up. One or the other, right? In the Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. logos, they have the ABC logos. They have the Marvel logos. And in each one, all of the agents, all of the main cast characters are actually depicted. Most of the time, it's their face in season two. It's their bodies. So you see that in every season, all six of them. There are some differences. Now, on the fifth season of Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D., the S.H.I.E.L.D. logo is actually missing. So you don't see that. But in all the other five seasons that are out there, including season six, there is a S.H.I.E.L.D. logo in the actual season art. The color tones have changed in each season. Every single one of them is different. Now, there might be ones that are similar in color, but some are lighter, some are darker, some are redder, some are grayer. You just have to take a look at them. So everyone is different. It signifies a change and it sets the tone for the season. And of course, you have minor cast changes noted because you have a change up in the main cast and they're all depicted in the logo. So there's some differences and similarities in the logo. You can do the same thing with your podcast. If you're changing it to a shorter episode, to a longer episode, you might want to make some changes just to signify that this is a different episode. At the risk of sounding like I'm writing Conan O'Brien a love letter, which let's be honest, I kind of am. 
a good example of this was definitely when Conan O'Brien switched to 30 minute format because he he and his production team really did make a, a full on change to a whole bunch of different elements. They changed the intro. They changed the visual of the graphics. They changed the music and they even changed the set, which funny enough, had just been redone a few months before they changed the format. So they really took this opportunity to do what SP said and really kind of bring in a new chapter in their show. And that's something that is definitely worth considering if you are making this podcast now a little bit of its own baby and a little bit different to what it was. So don't be afraid to really embrace the fact that you're making a drastic change with your podcast. Another production element that you can change of your episode in totality is the production quality, right? So if you're changing the episode length, ultimately it can allow you for better production quality. So might as well take advantage of it. And I'll give you an example. So a lot of you know that I watch a lot of sailing YouTube channels over on the YouTube, right? One of them, and it's pretty popular with a lot of people, is called Sailing Vessel Delos or SV Delos. And the YouTube channel recently stated that due to life changes, they may or may not be able to produce weekly based on the quality expectations they have set for themselves. I have learned over the years on how to actually film, filmography, edit, and produce actual quality productions. Now, when growing your show consistently is absolutely a factor, but when you've grown to a certain point, the quality begins to outweigh quantity. So this is a discussion to have with yourself. Does it really matter? Should I be consistent or should I take more time to do better show quality? So when you change the length of your episodes, make sure that you maintain at least or improve the quality in the production of your show. And also consider in the niche space now versus when you started podcasting your original format, when you first started you could have been the only one in your niche, but now there is dozens of other podcasts in your niche. You just have to weigh that, right? So if you change your episode length, maybe there is a certain portion of your audience that wants what your original length was, and then they will go find that somewhere else. However, there could be other people out there that are currently not your audience that like your new episode length and go to listen to your podcast because of the length themselves. This can be seen in podcast apps themselves, how long the episodes are when you search for a particular topic. So it's just something to keep in mind. There's pros and cons there of what you want to do. But the thing that you don't want to do is slip in your production quality, because that's going to be important as you go forward. Now, this last one, I want to go ahead and give a special shout out to Stargate Pioneer, because I didn't even think of this. And he thought of this, and it's a very, very excellent point. It's that if you are changing the length of your show, consider how that might affect how your podcast is hosted. This is probably going to be more relevant to media hosts, but can also be relevant depending on the package you have for your self-hosting as well. Number one, consider the bandwidth. Okay, sure, you're producing fewer minutes of the content perhaps, but If you are producing more frequently, perhaps you could end up having more people checking it out and thus you might end up using more bandwidth. This might raise the total amount of bandwidth 
or internet throughput of your podcast service? And how does that line up with the options that you've selected for your hosting option? If your hosting plan does have a limit on how much bandwidth your show uses, you might have to evaluate this and consider an alternative. But more importantly, you might also find that storage doesn't line up the way that it once did because there could be limits set by your podcast hosting service on the total amount of the episode size that you can upload. And if you're increasing the size of your show, are you going to go over that threshold? This is something that, yes, there are some hosts that cap the amount per episode that you are allowed to upload. And if you are going above that, how's that going to land? Definitely something that is worth considering. Are you going to have to reevaluate what you've chosen for your hosting platform? So no matter what you ultimately decide on what the episode length of your show is, changing that length of your show comes with a variety of considerations that can affect your show. If you don't handle it right, you might find that you ultimately lose listeners. But if you think things through in advance and you might find it actually helps your show trend in a positive direction, Stephen and I actually would like to know if you have ever considered or actually changed the length of your show, whether it's longer to shorter or shorter to longer, and what are the trials and tribulations that you have had to go through when you're both considering it in the planning stages and actual execution stage, and then what that has meant to your show over time. So please get in touch with us. We'd love to talk about it, even behind the scenes, if you don't want to release how well you did it or how poorly you did or whatever, that's fine. But we would love to learn about how that change has affected your show, yourself, your hosting and everything else. Please get in touch with us at all the ways in email podcast at betterpodcasting.com on Twitter. It's podcast or at better pod, excuse me. And we can also talk behind the scenes or even in our podcast discord server at gunnageek.com slash discord. All right, let's say farewell. Welcome to this week's better podcasting download. This week we got notification of a medium article, which was a, a very sad farewell for us on better podcasting because we've actually quite enjoyed this concept and I for one was looking forward to going next year and I was going to drag Steven down to it too since it's in his neck of the woods although it's across the border or was across the border and that is that the makers and the developers and the creators of PodCon have announced that PodCon is over that there will be no PodCon 3 and that it was due to sustainability issues. That's the long and the short of it. And they stated up front in their Medium article. This was a great post on the Medium article of all the considerations that they had to actually weigh when making this decision. They've done two of these. It had, for all intents and purposes, grown from year one to year two. And then they ran into what everybody else runs into when they're doing a meetup or a convention is that how are we going to make this puppy work? What is the money that runs behind these things? And so they listed some points down the line here. I think it was a total of five. And so we made some comments on some of them. The second point that they made was that large podcasts of a successful and sustainable business model in a live 
show touring. So these are podcasts that actually tour around and they get people to come to live events and they charge for admission to it. This isn't something that they just go somewhere and it's a meetup as we would do as hobbyists. This is a business for them, just like a comedian or like a band or whatever. This is their tour. This is where the big bucks come in, right? And it is difficult to attract creators that can sell tickets to events on their own and be part of a larger convention for podcast fans. By the way, that's one of the big reasons that we like PodCon is it was meant for fans. It wasn't meant for the industry. It wasn't really even meant for creators. It was meant for podcast fans. So my comments on this is that there are definitely plenty of other independent creators that they could have reached out to, but it takes a lot of time and effort to seek out other podcast creators, evaluate them for worthiness of having them as part of your convention. And that's for the lack of a better term, worthiness. It's basically how best they would fit the show and determine what sort of stage presence and audio draw audience draw they could provide. And we'll talk a little bit about that later. So there's pros and cons to that. I think there's more cons than pros. It takes a lot of work and a lot of effort. In my opinion, it's more than a full-time job for probably more than just one person. So that is one of the things about their sustainability business model when versus live podcast touring sort of shows is that they might not be able to be grabbed for a convention like this. You know, one of the things that comes to my mind with this is that the whole thing with basing things around independent creators, it tends to be that they don't have as large of a fan base. So if you're going to sort of bark up that tree there, so the math sort of breaks down as soon as you start to try to pull in more independent creators and whatnot. And, you know, I'll, I'll give a quick, example here is let's say that you've got a podcast example that has a lofty goal of 10,000 listeners to it. And let's say 2% of them are interested in actually seeing something that they want to do outside of a podcast. Well, that's going to be 200 people out of those 10,000 listeners. But let's say that you go and you approach another independent podcaster that has only a thousand listeners. And again, let's say that it's all things are even and it's 2%. Well, that's only 20 people. So that means by that math, and again, this is just for illustration purposes, in order to get that same amount of people, you're going to have to approach 10 independent podcasters who happen to have a thousand listeners that also have 2% interest in coming to the event. So like, it's really hard to find that fan base and that sort of structure of who you approach that has that fan base that's interested in coming to an event like this. And the next point that they made in their article was that this evening out live show system also works well for podcast fans and that many of their attendees, not all of them, but many of their attendees expressed to the creators of PodCon that they'd rather have an evening out than a two day event. Now, after Star Wars Celebration Chicago 2019 that I attended, I started to do some historical research and just look back at my experiences since 2009. So the past 10 years of this sort of evening out with hobby podcaster meetups, right? And that goes back to Galactic Water Cooler, which is in a roundabout way how Stephen and I actually met through his brother. And also the podcasts that were at Star Wars Celebration themselves, because there was a lot of them. 
was a really great opportunity for Star Wars podcasters because the makers of Celebration actually set aside a room and said, go. And they had a couple of dozen podcasts all weekend long actually do their show. So that was actually a main stage in the Celebration. And there was other going to geek events that we've done in the past, one-offs at different places. And basically, if you combine them all together, I can definitely see if you're a fan of a podcast, having that more meetup mentality or smaller community-based get-togethers definitely has more oomph for a ho- for a hobbyist than the actual full-blown 30,000-person convention with, let's say, I don't know, 50 shows or something like that. Well, here's the way I look at it, is if you're doing a fan convention, what are you banking on? You're banking on people being interested enough in the people that are there to come and attend. And what do they like about your podcast? They like the fact that you're intimately talking in their ear every week, right? We've talked about podcasting is a very intimate thing each week. And when you do a two-day event, now you have that convention mentality that SP said, and that sort of adds some distance. When it's a simple meetup like SP was alluding to and referring to, that's more of a personal thing. It's kind of the idea of why Kevin Smith can go and record some questionable audio while he sits in a room doing a live podcast because people are like, I want to be there. I want to be in that room while he's recording that. And they want to have that fun, intimate experience. If you go and you shove Kevin Smith in a big two-day convention... He's all over the place. That distance is there. Yeah. And the fourth point that they made was that conventions are expensive to run and attend. And this is absolutely true. They were mentioning paying for people to travel and stay and eat and that sort of thing, giving them a stipend to actually come there, you know, the bigger draws. And that's definitely an unsustainable business model. For the amount of people that I think would be interested at this point, at least in such a podcast convention, this is for the fans. Again, it's not for the industry. This is not podcast movement, PodFest, podcast mid-Atlantic, none of those. This is, was for the fans and it was out of Seattle. So I, I can definitely say that, you know, even with crowdfunding and ticket sales, the concept that they're talking about gets pricey real quick because you're talking in some cases of paying $10,000, $20,000, $50,000 to have somebody come out or a whole show, right? So there's multiple hosts come out and actually be part of your convention that eats into your profits. And then when you're running a convention to begin with, you're not sure what those profits are. There's a whole hotel room reservation issue where you have to front the money for the rooms that aren't sold. So it is a liability for you personally. And even if you have a business, you don't know if you're going to make it or break it. And also scalability. It's a big concern there because as you scale larger, you attract higher quality talent for lack of a better term. Higher talent ends up demanding more because there's not only probably higher fees if they're charging them, but there's also going to be things that are needed now to help retain that higher talent. They need to have have more to offer more value and that sort of thing. So definitely it's hard to scale. So I agree with what you said, SB. Their fifth and final point that they made were that sponsorships were extremely difficult to sell. And they're not talking about the small onesie, twosie thing. They're talking about major event sponsors. And to that right now in the space, I'm going to say I'm not surprised. There's really not. I mean, we've been talking about it all year. So there's really not a ton of money in the podcast fandom yet. 
Whereas podcast specific events, talking about the infrastructure behind podcasting, the services behind podcasting. So events like Podcast Movement or PodFest, there is a lot of money in the podcasting infrastructure and the service industries that could actually come in and sponsor those sorts of events. Yes, eventually, maybe next year, PodCon would have definitely benefited from, let's say, a Luminary or an Anchor slash Spotify sponsorship. But even then, I'm not sure their business models are really sustainable. So I don't know if you can really count on them right now, at least from year to year. Yes, there are hundreds of millions of dollars flowing through. So maybe for 2019, it would have worked, but I don't know beyond that. Yeah. And, you know, the thing is, ultimately, when you're thinking about sponsorship, sponsors are going to want to have people there so that they can sell their product. They're not just doing it out of the love of their heart. No, they do have an end goal out of the sponsorship. And when you consider this, you have to consider, like, who are the people coming to these conventions? There are definitely places for fan conventions where they can go and they can market. The sponsors can market to those bases. But when you have a bunch of podcaster uh, podcasters in one place that have built this intimate audience with their spe specific fan group and you're bringing all of these people together you're probably naturally going to have some niche pockets and things like that and it becomes harder in my opinion it becomes harder for those sponsors to invade those niche pockets because people are coming because they love your podcast yes there might be a few people that they like there but they're probably coming for a specific person or people and so those sponsors, they're going, okay, well, is my return on investment there? I don't know if they're just coming to shake hands with the podcaster and they're not paying attention to any of the surroundings. Yeah, they're probably not interested in sponsoring that. They end the article by basically saying, thank you very much. We appreciate everybody that came by and that we hope that somebody in the future can actually make a run at this. And to that, I'm just going to add that this has happened before. I believe it was New Media Expo. I think that's what it was. It was out in Vegas every year that was had a podcasting arm to it, or maybe that was the name of the podcasting conference. I can't really remember off the top of my head, but podcast movement basically took up that mantle. It was an entirely different conference. It was a different business that was stood up specifically for that. They had their first one in Dallas, and I think that was the same year that New Media Expo had their last one. Anyway, they took up the mantle and they quote unquote did it right or made it sustainable, at least for the how the podcast industry is right now. And to that, I say maybe somebody could rise out of the ashes of what was PodCon and do it right for the podcasting fandom instead of the podcasting industry like podcast movement did. I agree. Uh, podcasting, it's continuing to grow. And if there is going to be adoption of this, then I think it's going to come as we find, unfortunately, as as we find that it gets a little less personal because of the fact that if you have such a personal interaction with podcasters and their listeners right now, again, you are creating those silos almost. And so if you do expand that a little bit, then there is more of the group power. I, I personally don't want to see podcasting go that way myself. I like the personal connection. However, I do think that there's a lot of silos between the different podcast communities right now, and it makes it hard to have a central fan event like this. I hope someone can make it work, though. I really, really was happy to see this. And yeah, SP is right. I was definitely considering going to number three. 
So what's your thoughts on this? Let us know through any of the ways. We hope that uh, this helped work you through that a little bit. We know your heart was broken. We've uh, talked about this convention on this very show, and uh, we'd love to know what your thoughts were on this. And go ahead and let us know so we can talk about it in a future edition of The Better Podback. All right, Stargate Pioneer, I'll let you read out this first one here because he's not here to defend himself. So let's go ahead and throw Chris Farrell under the bus for something that he did. Uh, Chris Farrell was totally responsible for this. What was this uh, Discord post that we got over at betterpodcasting.com slash Discord? So Mint Kinetic went ahead and he posted this in our Discord server. He said, best marketing I've seen all day. And I would argue that it's the best marketing of the year. It was a live stream titled, quote, ignore this, unquote. Needless to say, I could not, in fact, ignore it. Yep, definitely, totally uh, Chris Farrell. It was it was not me accidentally making something public that was not supposed to be public. Uh, definitely not me. Definitely not Chris. Definitely Chris Farrell, because he's not here to defend himself. It was me. Ah, uh, okay. So I'll give you the story on this. What it was was I was playing around. Uh, we like to test little different things here and there, and I won't specifically say what I was testing, but I was I was trying to do a little bit of testing just so that we could actually talk about something maybe in the future on this show, and and also you maybe use it for Gonna Geek and a few other shows. And um, I had to create a YouTube feed, so I thought, okay, well I'll just go ahead and I'll make one that's private. I create a private event. And I accidentally made it public. And so the ignore this was originally intended for SP and Chris if they saw it. But yeah, it, it went public. So hey, accidental marketing strategy. I guess you could tell who picks up on the live streams on the Geek YouTube channel. It's not like we had several hundred people subscribe to our YouTube channel or anything and got it. Bang's Naughty Bits posted also in the Discord, and he said, Adobe doubled the price for Photoshop and Lightroom monthly subscriptions. Wonder what's next? And he linked a Mac 9 to 5 article. And Stephen, we talked about this on this week's GunnaGeek.com show, and there's a little story behind this of that they were trying to raise the price, but you could still get it with the old price and... I don't know. This subscription model for software really grinds me. I don't really subscribe to it for lack of a better term. And I think that I would prefer to actually pay for it, even if it was a couple hundred dollars, I would. But I know that a lot of people didn't. I know a lot of people were using hack versions. So I understand why they went to the subscription model. But then to double the price, that's like when they raised the price of Netflix, they didn't double the price. They just raised it by two bucks and like people all over were like, oh my gosh, it's the end of the world. Netflix sucks. And I can't imagine Adobe raising it, doubling the price. Wow. Yeah. I wanted to mention this one specifically because I know that we do have some podcasters who have been using the uh, Photoshop Lightroom bundle. It's uh, their photography plan because really they only wanted Photoshop. They didn't want the other stuff. So um definitely keep your eyes on this because the summary of this is that they claim that they are they sometimes try features on the website and then they provided a link on how people could pay for the cheaper plan and it was only the US that was seeing it so there's definitely some some indicators that maybe this could be increasing in the future 
The next thing that I wanted to go ahead and mention right here was something that was a little back and forth about Pinecast, and I wanted to go ahead and just, I thought it was a good opportunity to mention some of the things that I have seen with Pinecast since I talked about it in the Discord, so let's go ahead and talk about it here. And the summary is that I've been giving Pinecast a uh, run, using it mostly for file hosting for the Guinea Geek Show for about half a year or longer. So I've been really doing that just to experiment with some different features and the primary concerns that I still have and why I can't openly recommend them. I can talk about it with a few caveats, but the big things that I've got, number one is that they use markup within posts rather than the HTML. Now, the reason this becomes a problem is because if you're using a editor that uses HTML, generally things will copy and paste a little bit cleaner. Not that much so here because they're using a different way to code posts using markup. Second thing was that they're not still properly adopting the WWDC 2017 uh, tags for episodic shows. They have implemented it for serial ones. There's a few different Reddit posts that I, I linked on our Discord server if you want to check that out over at betterpodcasting.com slash Discord. But it, it essentially causes problems for those people who are not doing serial shows. And that is a problem for me. So they don't have the full Apple tags. Number three is a big problem for me is that they drastically changed their URL structure about a year ago. And uh, again, there is some Reddit posts when this happened. And the reason this is a concern for me is because it changed the website address that the, the file was hosted on within the RSS feed. And the thing that concerns me about this is have we reached their final settling point? Like, and what I mean by that is if you've ever used Libsyn, Libsyn's file is generally traffic.libsyn.com slash the address, the slug that you've chosen slash the file name. But they over at Pinecast made quite a few changes to the whole structure. And so until that's settled down, I do have concern they're going to go ahead and change that again, which could be a problem if you're using something like PowerPress to embed that file. And, you know, you don't know what sort of problem that could cause. Number four, which is probably the biggest one for me, is that they haven't always shown the most forthcoming changes with meeting consumer needs or evolving standards in a timely fashion. I found that often when something comes out, like the Apple tags, they come out and they say they're going to do it, but then it takes a very long time to get those done. For example, that Reddit post that I mentioned about the WWDC uh, 2017 tags. There's been a few other things here and there where they said, we're working on this, but then time goes on. And that's concerning to me because while they're great at acknowledging things and interacting with people right away, uh, you know, give me a timeline and try to stick to it. And then the last thing is uh, I have a little bit of doubt on their pricing. And that's the last reason that I, I do hold off really recommending Pinecast because they're really cheap for what they offer. They offer unlimited shows essentially under a $5 a month plan. And I am very, very concerned on that. I've got more explanations in our Discord server, but bottom line is the question that comes down to it is how can they afford this when others can't? And so I, I think that while obviously they've got a higher revenue stream than a free service, it is concerning that they are so much less than some of the other options. And so really, I just wanted to take the moment here to expand on that. I'll go ahead and uh, make sure to try to do my best in the chat or in the uh, notes to put a link to how you can get to our discord server. If you want to read my full information on this, which I encourage you to do 
because it was a lot longer than this, but I thought it was a good opportunity because I've been giving them a test for a while. I do recommend them with several asterisks uh, and considerations because I, I've they've been stable. They've been fast. SP noticed the difference with the file download time when I started to throw some files on there versus the self-hosting method. Their stats seem decent enough, but uh, yes, there are some concerns that I do have at this time, and I want to make it clear I still self-host my RSS feed. Most of the GunnaGeek.com show back catalog is still self-file hosted. This has just been a long-term test that I'll probably continue to run for a while just because Pinecast is one of the two that SP and I have been having our eyes on for last year. Yeah, and that list is slightly growing a little bit. Now, Pinecast, as Stephen mentioned, comes up in conversations all the time. When you're talking to people that want to start a podcast network and host all the shows on the network in one place on one account to save money, or they have multiple shows, kind of like me, I have multiple shows of six to shows total, and they're on two accounts. I don't pay for them separately, though. Each show, I pay a separate amount. They're all on Libsyn, and some people just don't want to do that. They want to cheap out, and they want to get the maximum value for minimum dollar. I can't argue with that. And that's why they gravitate towards Pinecast. And unfortunately, I don't recommend them for all the reasons that Stephen pointed out. But that is why Pinecast comes up in conversations. Spreaker comes up in conversations. Spreaker has limitations for multiple shows eventually as well with the 500 hour upload limit on the $20 plan. So you cannot, it's a unicorn in the podcasting hosting service space. You cannot find somewhere where you can get a $20 and under plan on limited RSS feeds and unlimited uploads, basically, you, you just can't find that anywhere. And there are reasons why, because you have to maintain that price model. But that is why Pinecast, the Pinecast discussion came up and it will continue to come up as people are exploring that option. I don't blame them because someday there's going to be an option that actually works for a lot less money than there is now, even if it's $50 a month for multiple, sh I, you know, and stats, IB compliant stats, that would be great. So we did have another Discord server note, and it refers to another past episode we did. I believe it was that same episode, actually, number 178 on a Better Podcasting. And Zachary Webb said, so you traveled with the RE320, Sergey Pioneer? No, I didn't. Okay, so in the past two episodes, I've used two microphones on each episode. Number 178, I used the RE320 and the BP40. And then 179, I used the AT2005 and the Samsung Q2U. And the only reason that this happened back to back is I happened to be traveling that next week. But I did use two microphones. And yes, I would love to travel with the RE320, Zach, but it's just not going to happen because it's a lot of equipment that you have to bring with it to make sure that you drive it correctly and everything. And be honest, I just uh, I need to use better microphone etiquette when I'm on the road, and I need to remember that. <laughs> I noticed it actually when I was editing the video side of things. I'm like, oh, SP, you're too far from your microphone. But you know what? Uh, I have to say that uh, it was really, really fun to have you on the road because I, it's been a while since I've gone and tried to um, clean up hotel echo and things like that. And and no, I you know I'm not taking a shot or anything. It generally is fun for me. It's why I do this. I love the editing aspect of it too. So uh, definitely, it was a lot of fun. I will tell you this. SP doesn't know this. In, in the editing room, I did switch back and forth between his two microphones. I will not tell you 
whether I did the same thing as as I did the previous week where we had a couple segments the same in a row. I'm not going to tell you which one it is because we haven't announced this and we want to encourage you before next week to tell us which segments do you think is which? What did you like better? Let us know through our Discord server, through email, however you'd like. And next week, we'll talk all about that. Steven has not told me which microphone was used in each segment, but I could tell a difference in the car as I'm listening to this. So I know you'll be able to tell a difference between which microphone. So let's just see who gets it right and who gets it wrong. And before we get to our final piece of feedback here, we had an interesting cu question come from Bangs Naughty Bits. Yes, the wonderful Reddit moderator, Bangs Naughty Bits, who likes to hang out in our Discord. We like to have him there. Asked us this question. He said, legit question. Is it ethical to use RX on Ghost Hunter Audio? RX being a uh, editing production suite. Uh, here's the thing. is I don't think he actually expected we would actually ask that question on here. And I think the thing that he was alluding to was because somebody had gone on Reddit and had posted some audio from their ghost hunter story. We'll go ahead and link that in the doc so you can find that Reddit post from Bangs Naughty Bits and you can read all about that. And we, we're not going to go ahead and answer that right now. No, we want to know what is your feedback if you have a client or something that is running a ghost hunter podcast and they believe that they hear something on there, is it fair game to use manipulation tools on said audio? Think about that question because I was barbecuing. I, I distinctly remember I was barbecuing when this came in and I was like ready to respond. And then I'm like, wait a minute, step back a second. Think a little bit more about this. And uh, yeah, I think it's a fun question to think about. So let us know. What you think about that is, is it ethical to use RX on Ghost Hunter Audio? And again, we'll make sure that that link is available at betterpodcasting.com slash 180. SP, why don't you read out our final series of feedback that we had going on in the Discord channel? This was an interesting thread that we had going on. I actually felt really bad for him in Kinetic, but... Yeah, I've been in a similar situation. So let's go through what happened to Min Kinetic here. He said, I just had a horror occur. We were doing a live event recording, and at exactly 28 minutes, the Zoom H6 stopped recording, and I failed to realize it for the last seven minutes. This isn't like the EU cutoff for DSLRS to avoid camcorder tax, is it? Hmm. So the intellectual chimed in david over there at the intellectual said i never use rechargeables they are unreliable and then steven john drew chimed in and he said oh no sorry to hear how long have you had the sd card for they can go bad too so of course the battery issue i ran into before where the batteries exploded inside my h6 and caused the machine to go bad and i have heard instances of sd cards going bad even if they're not full of course, you have to check on whether they're full or not, too. So batteries, SD card, and whether it's good or not, or, or whether it's full or not. Now, I want to highlight that we had a really good community interaction, lots of people involving in this. And the reason I wanted to bring up these two is, number one, uh, you, you'll see in a second with my response. But the first one, the rechargeable batteries, it is definitely worth noting if you're running off of the batteries on the H6 to consider what David said, rechargeable batteries are not always reliable because sometimes the voltages can be different. Sometimes they can fade very quick 
And if you have some batteries dying before the others, you can have not enough power. So definitely I wanted to highlight that one there because it's, it is really, really worth considering. And if you are going to do that, what I would suggest you do is um, if you're going to run off of batteries, I would say use alkaline batteries. And if you're worried about the rechargeable aspect, hook up the H6 to like a phone battery pack, you know, like one of those, those uh, battery banks that you can get to charge your phone because it's probably going to run that H6 for a while. And then if that happens to die, if you get, of course, a big enough one, if, but once that happens to die, if it does happen to die, you at least have your regular alkalines in there as a fail safe. So if I was to do it, that's how I would do it. I would go largely on the battery bank first and then have those alkalines in there as a backup, making sure to pull them out so we don't have that leak issue that SP said. I actually change out SD cards all the time. They fill up and then I just insert a new one. That is less expensive now than it used to be. It used to be about $20 for a 64 gigabyte card. It's now down to $10 for a 64 gigabyte card. It's actually the micro SD card with the converter on it to the actual SD card. So yeah, it's a little bit more affordable to do it that way. Even if you don't do it that way, if you record in a race, I would only do it for so long before getting a new one because the SD cards are not meant to be reused that much, at least the current crop. So Mint Kinetic came back and he said, Stephen, I looked at it again this morning and it was definitely something to do with the card. When I checked it in the H6, it was supposedly full and also failed to reformat via the Zoom. So I pulled it out and used SanDisk's specified software to wipe and then reformat via Zoom. Now it shows having eight gigabytes minus the nominal megabytes used for the folder system. I think my takeaway is to always check the recording device's stated space left in addition to what my Mac or other devices see. Shake my head. And that's what I do all the time. I take a look at see how many hours and minutes are left on the recording card for how many channels that I have chosen. That's how I determine how much space is left versus what I can see on the computer. But I can totally see somebody that's connected to their laptop or Mac and can see the SD card and how much space is supposedly left on it. Yeah, it definitely sounds like a bad SD card. Uh, for me personally, I wouldn't keep trusting a card like that. They're so cheap now. I'd just go buy a new one for sure. Uh, I think it's definitely worth refreshing them every now and then because you got to think of all the writing that's happening when you record that podcast. There's so much data going in and something like the H6. Think about how many tracks are going. So it's happening a lot. So we wanted to highlight that because uh, number one, it sounds like things worked out in the end for Mim Kinetic, but definitely keep in mind that SD cards can go bad. And if you are using on batteries, batteries can also not be in your favor. Before we close up, I want to take this moment here to surprise Stargate Pioneer or something. Something that I just discovered today, and I'm sure someone's going, Steven, really? Really? You haven't heard of that there? And it doesn't know that I did this, but today... I discovered a new piece of equipment that I had to own. I had to own this. This is the mistake that you make when you decide not to go home for your lunch equipment. And then you walk into the music store and you see equipment there. For a long time, Stargate Pioneer and I have both used headphone amplifiers made by Behringer, the HA400. They've been overall pretty good to us, but they've really been the only key option in that price point. Well, today... I found that there is another alternative that I will be trying out and considering, and so I wanted to mention it. And I actually have it here, still in the bag, as you can hear that. 
I'll go ahead and uh, hide the company logo of where I bought it from just so that uh, the video viewers, you know, I'm not going to give away too much free advertisement. I'm already about to give a product free advertisement. It is none other than a Mackie product. It is an HM4 four-channel headphone amplifier. Now, I had not seen this before, and I don't know that SP ha had, and I had talked about it in the past, and I want to give it a try because the price point up here in Canada was $34, and right now the Behringer one is listed at $39. So they're actually more or less the same price. The deal I got, five bucks less than most retailers are selling them for, for. So I paid less, but really they're going about even up here in Canada. I know it's a little different in the States. There's about a $15 difference with the States, but I want to see how this fares because overall the Behringer HA400 has been fairly good for me, but I want to see, does, is it clear? How does, how does it stack up? What has Mackie done? Has Mackie continued to put out a Mackie quality product? So I'm going to give it a try and I definitely have to buy it. And I look forward to coming back to this in the future. And I just wanted to mention it now because if someone's looking at a headphone amplifier, it's something that's on my radar now. And usually it's the HA400 I talk about, but maybe my recommendation will change. We'll see. It was great to actually have that conversation with Steven. And it's been a while since I've had to buy one of those, but I did have one go bad, the Behringer HA400. So I've been on the lookout for what I'd buy next. And I believe the HA HM4 from Mackie is what I'm going to use next in my setup if I keep the same setup. Because if I go to something like a Zoom L12, I don't know if I'll need the headphone amplifier or not. I don't know. We'll see. Anyway, Steven, it's been a great episode. I'm really interested in all the feedback that everybody might have to the points that we discuss in each segment. So please get a hold of us on our email podcast at betterpodcasting.com. Twitter is at betterpod and in our Discord server, it's gonnageek.com slash Discord or betterpodcasting.com slash Discord. Fun fact, they're both the same destination. So, for episode 180 of Better Podcasting, I'm Stephen John Drew saying I am very, very happy that this is the last podcast that I have to do until Monday. I hope that I feel better then. And I'm SP saying thanks very much for listening. We'll see you again next week. Bye. See ya. Thank you for listening to another episode of Better Podcasting. We want to hear from you. You can find all of our contact information at betterpodcasting.com. If you like the show, please consider giving us a five-star review in iTunes. We encourage you to check out all of the other geeky podcasts available at gunnageeknetwork.com. This has been a Gunna Geek production. Thanks for listening, and we will see you again next week. <laughs>